Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I trust that as folks are listening to this episode, we will be celebrating our victory over team resources. Call on our shot before the event happens. I, I, I hope so, Ben. I am feeling myself getting a little tryhardy, a little like, oh, got something to prove. You know, we're down down just one match against them, um, both in like the overall record three to two and in like actual matches 23 to 22. So it's been a tight race so far. But they could pull ahead. I'm a little nervous. It's tough. You know, LSV has been drafting a lot. We know we were already told that BK, who crushes us every time, actually is going to try this time and install the arena or whatever updated arena days in advance. So I'm I'm just terrified right now. Well, and the rough part is if they win, they're going to double us up at 4-2, which looks pretty bad, even though it's only yeah. two matches. I don't know. I, I feel confident, though. The complex <sighs> sets have been our friends. This is a more complex set. I think we're going to have a lot of room to wiggle, bob, and weave. Still get good decks. I like it. All right. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Hopefully that's the case. And yeah, if uh, if you miss it live, you can check out the VODs of all six of our respective streams for the Lords of Limited versus Team Resources Showdown. That's me, Ben, and Alex, aka Quarter Calls, and Marshall LSV and Andrew Beckstrom. And then if we lose, we'll just edit this part out, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it'll just be like it never happened. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, how's it going, Ben? I know you had a, a full week of school. Did you manage to get any drafts in? Yeah, I did some drafting. I did like a little hour stream most nights, like did a draft, played some games, did a draft, played some games. And then Saturday, we didn't go to a band contest this weekend. We just had rehearsal until four o'clock in the afternoon. So streamed all Saturday evening and it was awesome. Nice, nice. Yeah, uh, I have been playing a ton. I had a lot of catch up to do this week, as you know, because I was out of the country for the first whatever, you know, seven ish days of the format. Um, and I streamed a lot uh, all five days this week, played a ton, um, wrote an article for CFB Pro, uh, had some coaching sessions, so I really feel like I've I've I had to play catch up, but I feel like I am caught up on the format, and I'm still really bummed that I I feel like I just missed the fun portion of the set with blue black because <laughs> like I can't as we're going to talk about a little later I cannot draft black to save my life in the past I don't know twenty twenty five drafts black is almost never open for me I mean I missed the fun part of the format too I did blue black my first two drafts and then it was done. Like even the week that Blue Black was open, I just somehow ended up in pods of people that knew what was up. Unless you're, yeah, I guess you were just lucky enough to be LSV or Alex. You got to just keep drafting Blue Black to Mythic number one. <laughs> I wouldn't have played that much anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so we're going to be talking about the other end of the spectrum here. Moving away from Blue Black, a lot of people talking about those, you know, the best two colors in the set. And we'll talk about that just a little bit as I want to check in on where we're at with the format um, at the start of the episode. Um, but we're going to be focusing on, I think, the most misunderstood color, in Innistrad Midnight Hunt, which is red. Heck yeah, I think red has a really bad rap right now. I mean, it is definitely the worst color, but it's not the worst by that much. We are not in a blue in AFR situation here where it's just borderline, you know, undraftable at all costs. Exactly. Yeah, we're not advising that at all. And I think there are some some, like I said, misunderstood pieces about this color. And we're going to try and, you know, shine some lights on uh, on how to most effectively draft red in Innistrad Midnight Hunt. Uh, but before we get into that, just a few housekeeping things to take care of. First things first is the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited. That's where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose. And uh, a fun little perk that's going to happen this time around for our, our patrons, because uh, everybody who signs up for the Patreon gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord. Well, we always have a little channel for the showdowns where people get to like watch and chat with each other uh, while they're watching the showdowns live and you know check in about the decks and post the records and all that sort of good stuff. Um, but another thing that we're going to do this time around, which we haven't done in, in a few showdowns, is we're going to do a little testing meeting. You, me, and Alex are going to hop on a call before the showdown and just sort of like make sure we're on the same page about a lot of the, the big picture things for the format. And we're going to record that and post that for our patrons. So just a nice little extra boost of content there um, to let our patrons know that we really appreciate them. But, you know, like we always say, the Discord is a fantastic resource, 24-7 limited tech support. Um, a lot of people rolling in at the start of a new format. And we're going to have a new format rolling in in just about a month. So if you you know, if you've been on the fence about joining the Patreon to get access to the Discord, I think now is a really perfect time as they're, you know, firing these sets off rapid fire at us. Um, and of course, each and every week, we want to welcome our new patrons to the fold. And this week, I'm going to ask Ben to help me join in in welcoming Alexander, Juan, Justin, Chris, Quinn, Ben, Kai, George, Nathan, RCT, JT, Wisdom and Lore, Charlie, Brady, Ben and Jason. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. Show is also brought to you in part by Channel Fireball. Channelfireball.com, best place to go to get some marketplace madness, baby. So starting on the day that this episode is released on October 4th, CFP is going to be giving away tens of thousands worth of product across all games, Magic the Gathering, Flesh and Blood, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, you name it, they've got it. MTG, I assume if you're listening to this podcast, is the one that you're going to be interested in. There's going to be giveaways every day and entering is easy. You just have to purchase something on the CFB marketplace and you'll be automatically entered for every giveaway after that. So earlier in the month you get in, the more chances you've got. Every $10 you spend is going to grant you an entry. And then at the end of the month, there's final giveaways for a Black Lotus, first edition Charizard, an Alpha Welcome to Wrath. I think that's Flesh and Blood and then a first edition Crucible of War. But MTG players going to be eyeing that Black Lotus. So Ben, I have to follow up. Are you going to be buying some some beta dual, some beta lands, beta basics? I actually just went on the marketplace to look before we recorded this episode at that very thing, and they're a little pricey. I don't know. Mm. I think it's more of a fantasy that I have in my head than that I'm actually going to pull the trigger on it. We'll see. I'm going to continue perusing. I w- as so for folks who don't know, Ben is incredibly frugal with his money. And so I am <laughs> as someone who maybe is not as frugal with their money. I mean, I'm not irresponsible, but definitely not as averse to spending money as Ben is. I want to encourage Ben to treat himself in this respect. Uh, so I'm I'm going to keep pushing you. I'm going to check in next week. Too. You're going to peer pressure me until I do it? No, no, not peer pressure. I just want you to know that you're worth it, buddy. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. So <laughs> along those same lines, CFP Marketplace, if you had store credit at Channel Fireball, Um, To get that store credit on the marketplace, all you have to do is sign up with a new marketplace account with the same email address that your old CFB account was, and they will transfer it over for you. And I've seen a couple things on Twitter about, you know, people being super impressed at how quickly they transfer the money over from um, their old account to the marketplace account. So make sure that you do that if you had store credit over at Channel Fireball. And if you're heading over to CFB for any and all of that good stuff and you're purchasing something, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know that we sent you over there. Boom. Last thing I want to talk about, we haven't talked about this in a little while, but as I'm currently sporting my red Lords of Limited baseball tea and drinking coffee on this fine Sunday morning out of my Lords of Limited mug, I want to remind folks that we do have some merch out there for you if you're interested in getting your hands on a hoodie or a t-shirt, mug, a cell phone case, any of all that good stuff. You can head on over to our website, lordsoflimited.com. Right at the top there is a merch tab, and that'll take you over to our merch page at TeePublic. And they run about two site-wide sales every month, so be on the lookout for that. Um, Those site-wide sales are usually about 30% off. They're really, really good deals. And the turnaround on the shipping is actually really, really fast. I was super impressed whenever I, you know, got my my mug or my my baseball tee that they came, you know, within basically like a week of of purchasing them. I am also sporting my Lords of Limited tee right now as we're recording. And I've got a question for you, Ethan. Yeah. Have you have you signed any of our Lords of Limited merch? I haven't. Have you? I have. Several of my students bought some merch off the website. Are you kidding me? (laughs) No. That's awesome. I think they think they're making fun of me, but the joke's on them because we're getting that (laughs) cash money when they buy those tees. (laughs) That's amazing. And they ask you to sign it. Did you sign it Ben Wernie or did you sign it Mr. Metronome? I signed it Mr. Wernie. Got to keep it professional. Oh, Mr. Wernie. Yeah, go. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, sir. Thank you. All right. uh, I want to talk about just a few general thoughts on the format. I got to tell you, Ben. I've come to the conclusion that Organ Hoarder and Diagraph Horde are mistakes. Wow. I think they are way too powerful. Like, Organ Hoarder, I mean, we talked about whatever. It's like, you know, I think it's been compared to Seraph's Packmate in Call Time. I don't feel like broken when people cast Seraph's Packmate against me <laughs> on turn three. Organ Hoarder makes me feel miserable. And Diagraph Horde, just like, you know, exiling one to two flashback or disturb cards is insane attached to that amount of power and toughness yeah diagraph horde just doesn't need the exile from the graveyard clause <laughs> no not at all so i i really firmly feel like if those two cards didn't exist or were nerfed in some way that i would be enjoying this format a little bit more but i think the just that's not the power at common that i really want to see interesting yeah I mean, I've been having a blast in the format. The thing I... Organ Hoarder doesn't bother me so much. That one seems fine. You know, it's beatable. The thing that bothers me about Diagraph Horde is the incidental graveyard hate because it's just a great card. And then I'm trying to do this sweet seize the storm, flashback, mill myself nonsense. And then Diagraph Horde, just in addition to being incredible, comes down and totally crushes my deck's dreams. Yeah, yes, I totally agree. Something even like the Soul Guide Griff, even when that incidentally mills something, I feel bad. But then Diagraph Horde is just such a better card on top of that and can exile two things sometimes because oftentimes when 
that's your deck's game plan, you know, you're turning through it. You've got multiple things waiting in your graveyard. And then when two of those best things are taken away from you, it really feels terrible. Yep. I know you talked about this a little bit. You know, you and Alex touched on some of the stats that you were seeing in 17lands.com. I have, you know, shout out to Carl and our episode with him. I still, that's one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. And I, this for the first time with this set, I've been checking the stats for a lot of cards and really trying to update myself on like, okay, where am I at on card X? And I think one of those big examples of cards that like the data helped me figure out were Shipwreck Sifters and Blessed Defiance in blue-white specifically. You know, my first few, everyone kept talking about how good blue-white was in the format. And I just kept drafting these. I kept seeing it on the other side of the battlefield. And then for myself, kept drafting these mediocre versions that would go 2-3, 3-3 or whatever. And then the past few days, like things started to click for me. And I think Shipwreck Sifters is a big part of that deck working. I think Ominous Roost as well. But Shipwreck Sifters is effectively, in my mind, a blue-white gold card. And I think like really shines in that deck and shines the more copies of them you have. I think it's really important and disturb to be able to churn through your deck and you know, you know, utilize the the graveyard as a resource in that way. Hundred percent. Yeah. Shipwreck Sifters definitely get way better in multiples. Like you almost want five, six of them for them to be really, really good. And I, this last point, I know has not been the case for you, but you know, for folks who have watched my stream this week, you know that you know I was effectively like soft avoiding black early in the week, and then just decided to like full on hard avoid black until people figure things out. Because I think I've drafted black effectively twice this week, and I've done I don't know 25, 30 drafts this week on stream, and black is just never open. And even to the to the extent that I'm just like, eh, this diagraph horde or whatever this, you know, I passed the uh, whatever that six mana six six flying mythic black card is was like flying trample and then has like a bunch of activated abilities. I was just like, nah, I'm not going to fight over black. I have no interest in it. And it has I've never regretted it. I've never been like, ooh, there's a pick seven diagraph horde or whatever. Yeah, I think that's generally the case. Draft in and draft out. You are still going to get some pods where there's random black cards flowing where you just get people that don't know what's up. But I think in general, that is the case for the format right now. The black's really tough to draft. Yeah, and I think that's led me to explore what has been whatever deemed the worst color in red. And like you touched on a little bit, we're not in AFR blue territory here, not even close. But I do think that coming off the heels of AFR, folks are like, oh, red is the worst color. Therefore, that means it's undraftable like blue was in AFR. And that's not even close to the case here. No, because in AFR, blue had this awful removal. It couldn't play aggro well. It couldn't play control well. It just basically did nothing well. It was so much worse than what black and red were doing in the treasure synergies that it just couldn't compete. And in Innistrad Midnight Hunt, red does have all of those tools. It has good removal. It's got good synergies. Now, it's not as easy as drafting blue black or something you've got to do a little work but when you do get the red cards and especially when you lean into the spells matter synergies i think red's pretty good yeah so th- i think that's like really what we need to talk about is the spells matter style that red plays so well but first i want to get out of the way of the creature-based strategies which i think are largely junky right the creature-based decks that red has access to i think they're fairly straightforward they're your classic aggro decks right you want to load up on creatures have a high teens you know 16 17 number of creatures and then some number of removal spells and maybe a few ways to augment creatures either i mean in this set that's combat tricks right we don't really have auras or good equipment here and I think the best of these is red-white, but that's largely off the back of white contributing good creatures m- more so than red. Like red's creatures are pretty darn bad at common, right? Like Lamholt Harrier, Falconrath Perforator, Brimstone Vandal, the two three Menace, Harvestide Infiltrator, the Tavern Ruffian. Those are the two werewolves. Like they're all perfectly fine to bad replaceable creatures. <laughs> yes, right. Fine to bad. They're in that range. <laughs> yeah, and. You know, so I think red white is the best. We're obviously not champions of red green werewolves. We think that that is still the worst deck in the format, but I don't think red green is the worst deck. We'll we'll talk about how to draft red green appropriately as well. And red black vampires again feels a little too fussy of a style of deck. Like you need too many of the rares or uncommons to make it work, and then you also have to draw your cards in the right order, etc. And I do think aggro decks just in general are going to have a hard time in this format with disturb existing. Right, disturb as a mechanic, I think really embarrasses aggro decks quite a bit 
Yeah, I mean, and not to say that you're not going to lose to aggro decks. There are no. sick curve outs from red-white decks. There are sick curve outs from red-black vampires decks. But I think by and large, the most consistent bang for your buck is not those creature-based aggro archetypes when you're drafting red. Right. C- consistency, I think, is the key word there from that sentence. And that's what I think we're we're hoping to point to here with the spells matter deck. And and red does have good instants and sorceries, right? Moonrager Slash, Burn the Accursed. Neonates Rush, are you or you Neonates Rush, Rush Truthers? Speaking of the 17 lands data, that is the highest performing red common in the set. Yeah, I am definitely not a Neonates Rush Truther <laughs> as far as it being the best red common, but I do think there's something there, right? It is a good card, and mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of good X1s running around. Like I've had my Scob Wranglers picked off by Neonates Rushes, and it feels terrible. But I don't think you're supposed to be picking it over cards like Festival Crasher or even Moonrager Slash. Right. And Festival Crasher, you'll notice, was not a creature that I put on the replaceable list of Red's common creatures. Uh, you know, I talked to Ryan Sachs uh, a bit before the episode today because I know he's been drafting Red a ton. I feel like has a lot of really strong thoughts about it. And he has Festival Crasher as the number one Red common. That's the one in a Red 1-3. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, it gets plus 2, plus 0 oh until end of turn. Yeah, and I think that's largely due to its importance to the red spells-based decks, right? Festival yes. Crasher is a common payoff to let you lean into red spell-based synergies, whereas something like Moonrager Slash is just a good card, but it's not going to necessarily make your deck tick. But I think both of those cards are very powerful, and depending on what you're doing, you could take Moonrager Slash over the Crasher. But I think if you really want to lean into these red spell-based you know, aggro or aggro control decks, I mean, they can play a whole wide range of things, and Festival Crasher plays offense well and it blocks well early it's just a very good card Mm -hmm. and a really surprisingly important card to the style of deck is electric revelation that's the tuna red instant as an additional cost to cast it discard a card you draw two cards and then it has flashback for three and a red this really gives your red decks the velocity that they need and i think like one to two copies in these spell-based decks is quite important yeah i really liked electric revelation especially in these spells based decks where you're trying to get seize the storm in the graveyard that's the four and a red uncommon we probably ought to say what that is we keep talking about it it's the four and a red uncommon where you make a token with power and toughness equal to the number of instants and sorceries in your graveyard and or exile and then it keeps growing as you keep casting more spells so super impressive payoff and then also has flashbacks so if you do pish it or mill it you can cast it out of your graveyard as well yeah just just a slight correction there it, it counts your instances and sorceries in your graveyard and then only your spells with flashback in exile i had a, a blue red deck that was nuts with leer which is the card that gives all of your instances and sorceries flashback from your graveyard and then folks are like is that going to count towards your seize the storm like once you cast those spells and they're exiled and i was like of course they will but then i was like oh no it only counts the ones with flashback interesting <laughs> wow. okay yeah so corner case accomplished um you know when we did our a similar episode in afr about blue and like why blue didn't work in the set we looked at all of like the rares or mythics that pulled us in to that color and there were, were barely any and in this in red there are quite a few so i feel like you know we've got a list of cards here i don't really feel like we need to run through them that much i know i don't want to like you know burden everybody with walls of text but i think it's important to note that just about every red rare or mythic is a good card in my mind and a couple of the gold cards as well arlen the pax hope and angel fire ignition i think are just insane cards and pull me into red as well um and a lot of these red cards inherently have you know they want you to push down this instant and sorceries matter you know style of deck i think specifically i want to shout out smoldering egg it's one in red for an o4 dragon egg defender whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell you put a number of ember counters on smoldering egg equal to the amount of mana spent to cast that spell and then if it has seven or more ember counters on it remove them and transform smoldering egg into ashmouth dragon it's a 4-4 flyer whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell ashmouth dragon deals two damage to any target in a deck built towards this style of like, you know, loading up on instants and sorceries. This is not a difficult card to flip. And once it flips, it is an insanely powerful threat. For sure. And I think there's just another chunk of red rares and mythics here that aren't even necessarily spell-based, but are just great cards that sometimes get passed. I think because people think they're supposed to push into blue that hard or push into black that hard. But you're not supposed to pass a card like Sunstreak Phoenix. No, not at all. That's the two red, red, four, two flyer and becomes day when it ETBs. And whenever it flip-flops between day and night and Sunstreak Phoenix is in your graveyard, you can pay one in a red to return it to the battlefield tapped that card is bonkers yeah agreed i mean yeah, there's also the moonvale region that's the other flying dragon that's insane like you get burned down the house which is a flexible sweeper like red has a lot of rares to like yes and you should let them pull you into red i think 
Totally agree. So the thing that I think we're advocating here is there are cards at rare and uncommon that you should let dictate you into red, but don't move into red at common, except for, I would say, when you see like, you know, when you're feeling a little bit, oh, maybe I'm getting pushed off of this color that I'm trying to push down. And then you're getting to pick six, pick seven, pick eight, even the wheel. And there's that just like chunk of five red cards in the pack. Well, and you see some of those important ones. Like it's not uncommon to see a pick seven Moon Raider slash. I think that happens fairly often in the format these days. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So I think either seeing some of those higher rated red cards late at common or those those the glut of red cards and they don't have to be all good ones, but that's just really going to let you know, look, you're at a table of people who think red is unplayable and you can reap the rewards there pretty easily. Now, you know, a little bit of work has to be done in terms of good rares and uncommons being opened at the table and passed to you because I don't think red has a, a way to make a good deck at common, but that shouldn't be difficult when red is, you know, so open for your seat. But I think the other thing, you know, we're talking about not letting it push you into red at common level. The other thing that you can do is use red as a great off ramp. Like maybe you do go after blue black pretty hard and you get pushed off of black, but you still have some of the good blue spells. And the other thing that's really important to note is that, you know, in those early packs, maybe packs one through four, you're trying to clock cards like Festival Crasher or cards like Neonate's Rush that could wheel and be good spells for you to let you, you know, if these cards wheel and I take this, you know, red card now, I can potentially wheel two Festival Crashers and that's how I'm going to make my way into this red spells deck. Yeah. So looking at the uncommon level, there's really two cards that actively pull me into red at uncommon. That's obviously Seize the Storm, the card we keep talking about. I think that's sort of the linchpin card at non-rare for this style of deck. And the other card is Thermo Alchemist. That's the one in a red 03. It taps a deal of damage to a player, and whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, you can untap it. Um, those are two cards that make me go, hey, I want to push down for this red spell-based strategy. Yeah, and I think, you know, last week I was talking about Seize the Storm train wrecking my drafts, and it was because I was trying to draft non base red four and five color piles that like turned through your whole deck and you just really don't need to do that to make seize the storm a fantastic card like once you accept red as a base color for your red spells deck seize the storm gets way 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 more consistent and way better than it was in what i was doing right and once you start realizing that you can pair except for white i think you can pair red with any of the other three colors and be and have a successful version of this deck i think that also makes it viable um but i also want to point out there's just other good uncommons for this style of deck Cathartic Pyre, the one in a red deal three. Purifying Dragon has been strong. Spell Rune Painter is sort of a, you know, a werewolf style festival crasher that grows. Lunar Frenzy, the X in a red, first strike trample, plus X plus O spell. Like red has not only a bunch of good rares, but a bunch of good uncommons as well. Yeah, for sure. Hundred percent. And there have been some specific overperformers. First one is Obsessive Astronomer. This is the one in a red 2-2 that starts the day-night cycle. And then whenever it flips, you can discard two cards to draw two cards. Does a lot of really good things. And, you know, when you pass on three mana, then you probably have an instant to be able to hold up, especially if you're blue-red. I think this card has been quite good in these spells-based decks. Yeah, and and the more disturb and flashback you have, so it's at its best in blue red because then you get to pass with like turn three. I have Moon Ranger Slash, and I have Electric Revelation, and I have uh, Flip the Switch. Right, you have it makes Flip the Switch so so good in these decks, but you just have all these options as well. And then if you're on top of that, pitching a flashback spell or a disturb creature, you're just getting so much value. Astronomer is such a good two drop in these decks. Uh, we already talked about the other two over overperformers, but I just want to hammer home how good I think Electric Revelation is in these decks and Festival Crasher as, you know, Ryan Sachs, who is probably the best player who has drafted red the most in this set and saying him saying that Festival Crasher is the best red common or the key for, for that kind of deck. I think I'm going to take him at his word. Yes, 100%. Um, I, I did want to quickly note, uh, just as a last point about the uncommons, that none of Red's gold uncommons are really pulls into a specific deck. And I sort of realized this is the case for like basically all 20 of those gold uncommons, save for a handful. When I was writing my article for CFB Pro about navigating drafts in this format, that none of those cards, you know, oftentimes those are the cards that make you go, you know, even if you're drafting you know, blue card, blue card, blue card, and then you see a gold green white card in this format it's rare that those gold on commons make me go oh no i should abandon this start and and try and see if this is open it's much more as 
if I touch one of those two colors that that gold uncommon is with my start, then I'm happy to push down into that two color lane. But they're very rarely, you know, save for, you know, Rite of Oblivion is like a really strong card and then also worth splashing, say, or, you know, there's just not a lot of cards that make me go, oh, I'm going to jump ship for this pick five, pick six. Yes, I definitely agree with that. Um, yeah, and I think Red's cards are no exception, and there aren't really any of those that like make me go, like, I'm happy to play them once I'm in those respective color pairs, save for, I think, the red-green ones, which are just not exciting to me. But otherwise, I think you're just like, you're, you're getting into them naturally and not like, a, ooh, I'm going to spec on this late and maybe drop my first five picks. And if you just compare those lists to the cards of blue and AFR, like, there were no uncommons that pulled us into blue in AFR. The commons were all junky and like none of them we were like, and I just want to point out these blue overperformers. Like they were just all <laughs> not cards we were interested in. So with that in mind, let's look at what these decks look like, right? So let's let's have seize the storm as our linchpin for red in terms of what it's trying to do. And you'll see oftentimes that that's going to be a card included. Or if we look at a draft log that once you see that card and you're sort of pushing down this lane slightly, that's going to really solidify you into the style of deck. So let's look at what they look like and start with blue red, which I think is, you know, obviously blue is the best color to pair with red, but that's largely because Blue is insane on its own, right? 100%. But blue-red specifically gets to add Revenge of the Drowned as a 4-mana instant speed removal spell, Flip the Switch as a 3-mana instant speed counter spell that plays super well with cards like Moonrager Slash or even Electric Revelation. There's just so many things to hold up at 3-mana in blue-red that those cards pair so naturally together. And then you can really fuel the graveyard in blue-red as well with Organ Hoarder, as if that card wasn't insane enough in blue-black. It's great in blue-red as well, right? You get the body, you draw a card, and then maybe you dump a spell with flashback and another spell into the graveyard and just power up those Seize the Storms. Yeah. And, you know, we've got a couple deck lists here, and they're not going to surprise you the kinds of cards you're going to see. You know, you're going to see those really top-performing blue commons like Organ Hoarder, Revenge of the Drowned, Flip the Switch. And then you're even just going to want any cantrips, right? Consider is good as a cantrip. It's a spell itself. It can help, you know, even if the top card is a Disturber flashback spell, you've been that. Startle as a cantripping combat trick, whatever. You don't often have ways to utilize the decayed tokens in these decks, but sometimes, you know, you end up with a Scob Wrangler or a Larder Zombie, and, and then you do have ways to use those tokens. Um, but, you know, the, the includes here are not going to be super surprising. The last thing that I think I wanted to point out for these decks is a card that I have been pretty happy with in my, like, what are these controlling decks? It's at rare, but I think worth pointing out is the Celestis. This is the three mana legendary artifact. It starts the day night cycle and it adds a man of any one color. So it's a you know mana rock for you. And then you can pay three and tap it to switch it from day to night or night to day uh, as a sorcery. And whenever it swaps, you gain a life and you may draw a card if you do discard a card. You definitely get to turn through your deck pretty fast with this. Um, and like I said, it's really not hard. You know, this in tandem with obsessive astronomers or anything else, you know, flipping between day and night in these decks is not difficult. One of the cards I've actually been really impressed with from opponents playing blue-red on the other side of the battlefield is the three and a blue two-three that starts the day-night cycle and then lets you draw a card whenever it flips. What's the name of that card? Firmament. Firmament Sage, right? Yeah, I was really wrong about that card. In the you know, we argued about that a lot in the crash course, and my argument was like, look, you know, you've got organ hoarders and revenge of the drowned, and you just want those cards more, and that is true. And so sometimes it gets edged out, but it is a good card, and again, it's not hard. For it to draw you, you know, three, four cards in a game. Well, and it's so good in blue red because you want to operate at instant speed. So it's not really a cost to you to pass the turn. You want right. that to be happening and you want the day night cycle to be flipping back and forth. I do. Th it's sort of weird, but I do think that like, I mean, red, blue and just these instant speed red style of decks. I think they want to switch between day and night more than anything else, like more than werewolves even because it's so easy for you to go. I get to pass and it's now it's night, but I still get to do stuff. Whereas like a red green werewolf deck is like, I'm passing and please don't cast two spells on your turn. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I got to play with uh, Tovalar's Huntmaster for the first time this week. It was so impossible for me to get to attack with it on the night side. I kept being like, all right, I'm going to pass. Please, like, let's just chill. And then my opponent would be like, double spell. I'm like, all right, dang it. Let's try it again. And then double spell. Like, dang it. <laughs> Just want to attack and make two wolves, please. 
Yeah, for sure. All right, moving on to Rakdos. Again, we're looking at this through the lens of rather than red-black vampires, we're looking at this as red-black spells. So black brings a lot of what red already has in more great one-for-one removal, you know, cards like Defenestrate or Eaten Alive or Olivia's Midnight Hunt. But it also adds a lot of card advantage or flashback in terms of things like Crawl from the Cellar, you know, being able to rebuy a festival crasher that's died or even something like Blood Pact. That's the tuna black instant where you draw two cards or target player draws two cards and loses two life. Excuse me. I want to be accurate. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you even get something like Blade Brand as a cantripping two mana spell that's like that's what you're interested in right that's why you're playing startles and considers in blue well blade, blade brand can do that and it also just like plays well with you know if you have to play a novice occultist or you end up with some decayed tokens that your opponent wants to block or maybe you get the wombo combo with purifying dragon that deals uh, damage to a creature and so they can give that death touch and then you're just mowing down a creature black does add quite a bit and it's also just got strong card quality right you then you'd still get to take diagraph hordes or ecstatic awakeners or what have you um but i think really pulling away from the thought of like, oh, it's got to be creature based. It's got to be vampires. You know, you can even still just play hungry for more. That's a good card. That's the black red sorcery, make a three, one vampire creature token with trample lifelink and haste, and then sack at the beginning of the next end step, but it's got flashback. So you can incidentally mill it or discard it with electric revelation, but you still have that looming. And it's a spell that's counting towards your seize the storm, right? I think once I sort of realized like, oh, Red just does this thing with every color. And then how does that color contribute to the game plan and unlocking or seeing those cards through that lens made me appreciate just like how effective this game plan is, right? It spells is not just for blue red, right? Well, and I think the other thing that black red especially is going to take advantage of with the removal is you have festival crasher and then you get to use your removal spells to clear the way for that. Or one of the cards we haven't talked about that much is spell rune painter. That's mm-hmm. the uncommon tuna red for a two, three werewolf. It flips into a three, four. And on the front side, it gets plus one, plus one one per spell you cast and on the back side it gets plus two plus two per spell you cast both of those cards to leverage as threats aggressively in black red is pretty strong yeah for sure and then the, the last one here because i don't think boros gets to do this is gruel now i have not drafted this deck myself i know you have um but i totally under like, i've seen a ton of decks ryan has drafted it a ton and sent me a bunch of logs and I think you just think about it again, like blue red, but instead of organ hoarder, you've got your eccentric farmers as your card that's going to like help fuel your graveyard, but still give you that, you know, two for one, potentially three for one value creature. Yeah, I really like this archetype and I really need to apologize to Shadow Beast sighting. I came out pretty <laughs> against that card in our first episode. And I think this is the perfect home for it, right? In red green spells, because it's a creature, but yet it's a spell for you in your graveyard. You maybe get to take advantage of the flashback in a longer game when you do mill it. So I think that card has a perfect home here in red green. Certainly once you start to think about red green as spells and not werewolves. And there's just a bunch of other great cards for the deck. Dryad's Revival as two and a green to rebuy anything from your graveyard that you mill with your eccentric farmers. And then you can also flash it back for five mana. Rise of the Ants, again, more creatures that double as spells. It's a 4GG, make two ants, um, gain two life, and then it has flashback for six green green. All those cards slot perfectly into this archetype. And again, I was drafting this early in the format, but I wasn't having red as a base color. And so I was just trying to make these five color monstrosities. And to be honest, I'm still fine (laughs) to make these four and five color (laughs) monstrosities because they're really fun to play. But I think you can do a very strong base red green version of this deck. And it is generally good at splashing, especially if you pick up evolving wilds with your eccentric farmers, you just so reliably get to find the lands that you want to find. Yeah, I've not drafted this deck yet, but I really want to, you know, it's so interesting. There are, it's just like some drafts, people understand eccentric farmer and some drafts you see them like last pick and like i really (laughs) want to get into green i feel like i'm never in green when that is the case and always want to get into green when i'm at a table with people who are valuing farmers appropriately but yeah eccentric farmers are just like organ hoarders light and they do a very similar job like organ hoarder does in blue red in this gruel deck and i will say in these gruel decks specifically the more powerful rares that you have the better this style of deck gets right because if you can get that rare into your graveyard and then also get your dryads revival into your graveyard the more you churn through your deck to find those key cards it's really good at doing that yeah i could not agree more this is this is also a great home for splashing not only because of you know eccentric farmers green i will say that green's like ability to splash is not very enticing to me like 
path to the festival or whatever the rejuvenator the two four gain three life when it comes to play rejuvenator yeah there you go those are not cards that i'm excited to play in these decks like yeah maybe i'll play a path in these green decks but really you're you know evolving wilds i will say jack-o'-lanterns have been pretty impressive to me when i'm splashing i think it's important to note that when you're splashing like a one-off thing it's awkward when you're splashing a spell with flashback because the jack-o'-lantern doesn't right like doesn't actually fix you for both times you want to cast it but the fact that you're so happy to just incidentally mill the jack-o'-lantern as like oh now i have a one-off way to fix for free um that has been impressive to me and then lastly we'll take a look at Boros, but not really because White just doesn't have the instants and sorceries to help facilitate this game plan, right? It's got Homestead Courage, which I don't think is a good... I think it's a good card, but it's not a good card in this format. Um, it does have Blessed Defiance, but I think Blessed Defiance is at its best in Blue-White. But like other than that, I think what White does best is Creatures because of Disturb, and that has a lot of tension with what I think Red does best. So I think if you end up drafting Boros, you want it to be primarily a creature-based aggro deck. Well, I think the best thing White does add to these spells decks is splashing Sacred Fire. That's the red-white deal two damage, gain two life, Mm -hmm. and then has flashback for six mana, or something like the rare Angel Fire Ignition. If you get those powerful, uncommon, and rare spells that are gold cards, you can either be super heavy red with touching white to take advantage of those cards or you can be something like base red green and splashing sacred fires has worked very well for me yeah i've also splashed sacred fire in my blue decks like just a nice little spell with flashback that can you know go face as well as is you know a a pretty good include all right so time to take a look at some draft logs to see how to do this yeah why don't you take us through uh through this one that you drafted recently all right so pack one pick one also super nice to have arena having fixed the pack one pick one data for 17 lands so thanks magic arena yes pack one pick one we see the following cards as options commons there's a silver bolt uh one mana for the artifact three tap deal three to target creature there's a bait hook angler one in a blue for the two one with disturb and then uncommons there's nothing exciting the most appealing one is ghoulish procession that's one in a black for the enchantment Whenever one or more non-token creatures dies, you make a 2-2 zombie with Decayed, and that triggers once each turn, but even that is not particularly exciting. And then Boom Baby, Mythic Rare, we've got Ren and Seven, 3GG for the 5 Loyalty Planeswalker, plus one, you reveal the top four cards of your library, put all land cards in your hand and the rest into your graveyard. Zero, you get to put any number of land cards from your hand onto the battlefield tapped. Minus three, you get to make a Tree Folk with Reach and Power and Toughness equal to the number of lands you control. And then minus eight, return all permanent cards from your graveyard to your hand. You get an emblem with you have no maximum hand size. Card is bonkers. Yeah, insane card. Windmill slam. Windmill slam, run in seven. Moving on to pack one, pick two. See the following cards as options. There's an Olivia's Midnight Ambush. One on a black for the instant. Target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. If it's night, creature gets minus 13, minus 13 instead. There's a Falcon Abomination. Two and a blue for the two, two. When ETBs, you make a two, two zombie with Decayed. And then moving on to the uncommons, there's still Ominous Roost chilling here. That doesn't go great with Ren and Seven. If we're thinking of that as a blue, white, gold card, that's uh, the enchantment that whenever ETBs or you cast a spell from your graveyard, you make a 1-1 bird token with flying that can only block creatures with flying. There's Fangblade Brigand, 3 and a red for the 3-4, and you can pay 1 and a red to give it plus 1, plus 1 for a strike until end of turn. On the knight side, uh, it has that same ability, plus it can pay 5 mana to give creatures you control plus 2, plus 0 until end of turn. And then there's also a Blade Stitch Gob. Blue-black for 2-3, zombies you control get plus 1, plus 0. This is a pretty interesting pack. I mean, you you haven't named the only green card, which is not a consideration. That's Timberland Guide, the one in the green 1-1 one, one ETBs put a counter on a creature. Um, so you have to branch out from green here, even though you really want to play Ren and 7. Uh, so I think the options for me are... I personally like Fangblade Brigand a lot. I found that card to be basically unblockable a lot of the time, um, just because a three four body just like comes down and is often you know too big to attack into, and then it's really hard for your opponent to block this with the threat of activation, and then God forbid it flips, and you have a team that's worthy of the mass pump. Um, but do I want to start with a green card and a red card? I don't know. Otherwise, Falcon Abomination, which is firmly in my mind as the fourth best blue common behind. Hoarder, Revenge, and Baithook Angler, but still a very good card. At its best in blue-black, which then begs the question, like, if it's at its best in blue-black, should you be taking the Blade Stitch Scob? And then Olivia's Midnight Ambush, which I think, you know, I'm just not, I'm just not touching black with a 10-foot pole right now. And I don't think Midnight Ambush is a card that's, like, high enough in the, my pick order that would make me say, eh, I still should take it here. 
So I think I would land on Brigand myself, but I, I could see an argument for Abomination as well. Yeah, I was between Abomination and Olivia's Midnight Ambush on this pick. The Brigand for me is a little clunky and I didn't want to be red-green. Paying four mana for a creature that doesn't do anything when it enters the battlefield scares me quite a bit in this format just because the removal is so premium, but it is a huge threat. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually ended up on Olivia's Midnight Ambush because I thought it paired slightly better with Ren and Seven than Falcon Abomination did, but those were the cards I had my eyes on, and I did end up on the Olivia's Midnight Ambush. Okay. Moving on to pack one, pick three. See the following cards as options. There's a Path of the Festival to potentially ramp you towards Ren and Seven. There's Moonrager Slash, tune red for the instant, deal three to any target, and cost two less to cast if it's night. There's a jack-o'-lantern for some splashing fixing, but we're probably not interested in that this early. There's another bait hook angler. There's another fangblade brigand. And then there's also borrowed time in the uncommon slot. Two and a white for the enchantment when ETBs exile target non-land permanent opponent controls until borrowed time leaves the battlefield. Yeah, I think that's probably just the best card in the pack and worth taking here. Again, you don't have anything strong in green or strong in black with your two colors you already are. So I think just taking the best card here makes sense. Yep, that is what I did. I took borrowed time and moving on to pack one, pick four. See the following cards as options with a green, a white, and a black card so far in the Ren and Seven Borrowed Time and Olivia's Midnight Ambush. There's a Shadow Beast Sighting, three and a green for the sorcery, create a four, four beast token. It has flashback six and a green. And then there's no other real commons in consideration. Pretty junky past that. And then the uncommon slot, ding, ding, ding. There's still Seize the Storm, four and a red for the sorcery. Make an elemental creature token with power and toughness equal to the number of instants and sorcery cards in your graveyard, plus the number of cards with flashback you own in exile. And that has flashback for six and a red. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be the sort of like the the stopping point or whatever. I don't know, the the count pass go card. I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but like in all these draft logs that we have, it's just like once you get to seize the storm, you're like, yep, got it. I know what I'm doing. And I think that's the case here as well. Yeah, you're in. You do do pass go, do collect $200. You're in on red spells. Yeah, for sure. I think before we go on, it's worth talking about Seize the Storm versus Shadow Beast Sighting also, because there were a lot of people in my chat that wanted me to take Shadow Beast Sighting while I was streaming. And I think it's fine, right? You're always going to play that with Ren and Seven. You do want to be green for Ren and Seven, but it's just such a worse card than Seize the Storm. And Seize the Storm gives you a direction to potentially draft green red spells. Or even, you know, if green isn't open, you know, abandon Ren and Seven and do some sort of red-based spells deck. You ideally don't want to do that. You'd ideally like to draft green-red spells from this point forward. But I think taking Shadow Beast sighting is just selling yourself so short on that pick. I think that the most important thing about what you just said that I want to hammer home for our listeners is what if green isn't open? And you will just regret this pick so much. The delta in power between Seize the Storm and Shadow Beast sighting is so huge. And if green is open, great, then you can just splash Seize the Storm in your green whatever deck that's going to want to be, you know, graveyard synergy anyway because of Ren and Seven. Um, and then if you do end up in green-red spells, great. You'll also have access to Shadow Beast sightings down the road. Yeah. And then moving on to pack one, pick five. See the following cards as options. There's Path of the Festival. We've already got four colors, potentially interested in splashing. <laughs> uh, there's a Bird Admirer, tuna green for the one fourth reach. And on the flip side, it's a three five with reach. And then there's also Grizzly Ghoul, two black green for the four three with trample. And it ETBs with a plus one plus one counter on it for each creature that died this turn. And then in white, there's a Beloved Beggar, one in a white for the 04 with Disturb, four white, white. Yeah, I found Beloved Beggar... It's, it's awkward, right? I mean, you want it in blue-white, Disturb, but you never want to cast it. Like, you always want to be able to pitch it to, like, Shipwreck Sifters or whatever, or mill it incidentally with, like, an Organ Hoarder. Or in black-white, it's just great Sack Fodder. Um, outside of that, in white-green or white-red, it's really tough. Uh, you know, I think this is between just taking a green card here for me. Like, I don't want to take Grizzly Ghoul, even though I think it's probably the best quote-unquote card in the pack. Um, I just don't want to push down that road i i one i don't want to draft black if at all possible because it's going to be cut um and two i just think like i'd rather do the seize the storm thing so then that leaves me with bird admirer and path to the festival and we talked about this a little bit before the show you know you already have two removal spells you're interested in splashing in borrowed time and and maybe ambush um so taking path here as a piece of fixing is nice but you really do only want like one copy and you can always get them whereas bird admirer you can play multiples of and like this is one of the ways these decks die. Like you just like lose to disturb flyers all of a sudden. And so I think Bird Admirer is nice to hold the ground while you're setting up your dirtily stuff. 
for sure. That's what I decided on here. And the draft kind of rounds out the rest of pack one. I get an Evolving Wilds, pick six out of an empty pack. Pick seven, pick up an Eccentric Farmer. Tuna Green for the two, three, when ETBs, you mill three cards and then get a return of land from your graveyard to your hand. And then pick eight, get another Evolving Wilds out of a fairly empty pack. So at this point, you can do anything you want, right? You could splash Seize the Storm, but I think ideally with what we've talked about in the episode, you know, we know that green-red spells is a real deck too, but we we can splash instants and sorceries of any other color. And that is how it ends up playing out. And then so early on in pack two, we do end up settling into red as a base color. We pack two, pick two, a burn the accursed. And then pack two, pick four, we electric revelation because, you know, and we're picking these cards over better cards because we know that this green red spells deck is a thing and we really want to make it happen. So definitely something to be on the lookout for. But the the real key to making that deck tick, as we've said all episode, is Seize the Storm. Yeah, which you end up getting a second copy of in the draft. And then you have three eccentric farmers. And this just looks like it's just a blue red deck in disguise, right? Like <laughs> it's really doing all the things that blue red spells does, but just with green. You double dryads revival as well. Um, you get a burn down the house, rise of the ants at the top of the curve. And then of course, Ren and seven. Um, as as your bomb mythic. It's awesome. It's a great looking deck. All right, we're going to take a look at a draft log that Ryan Sachs sent us. Um, for folks who are not following Ryan, he's a writer for StarCityGames.com. He's a, a very uh, prolific contributor in the Twitterverse. So if you're not following him on Twitter, <laughs> I would highly recommend doing so. Uh, and he really like, I, I just sent him a message yesterday. I was like, hey, could you like send me like maybe a draft log or two? Um, we're doing an episode on Red and I know you've got some some interesting logs. And he just like, delivered as I expected, like lots of really insightful comments, lots of different logs, um, different thoughts about this color. So really appreciate that. So let's dive into this uh, draft log here. Pack one, pick one, you see the following cards as options. At common, uh, there's an Olivia's Midnight Ambush. There's a Lunark Veteran, the one mana one one in white with Disturb one in a white. Uh, whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain a life. And the Disturb side is a flying one one. Whenever another creature you control leaves the battlefield, you gain a life. Um, not really anything else in consideration. We get into the uncommon slot. There's a Thermo Alchemist, one on a red 03 with Defender, tap to deal a damage to each opponent whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, untap it. There's a Dryad's Revival, the green regrowth effect with flashback. And your rare is Falconrath Pitfighter, single red for 2-1 Vampire Warrior, pay one on a red, discard a card, sack a vampire, draw two cards, activate only if an opponent lost life this turn. Yeah, this is a super interesting pick. I don't think... The best card in the pack is Thermal Alchemist. But I think mm-hmm. early on in the draft format, when people thought red was so bad, including myself, you know, I would have been tempted to take something like Olivia's Midnight Ambush over this Thermal Alchemist to try to steer into black or blue-black. And that even might have been correct with how open blue-black was you know, a week or two ago. But now I think I'm pretty excited to see Thermal Alchemist and have it be the best card in the pack and try to draft a red spells-based deck. So I really like picking Thermal Alchemist here. Well, I think the other thing that folks may have thought early in the format is, oh, this is good, but it's basically a blue-red gold card. Or, well, maybe it'll help enable my red-black vampire damage matter stuff, but otherwise it's not going to be playable. And just like open your eyes and realize that this is just what red wants to do or what red does best in the format, and it overlaps with many other colors. So yeah, let's take the Thermo Alchemist and see where that leads us. Pack one, pick two. Only mono red card here to speak of is Ardent Elementalist, which is a card we haven't talked about yet in the episode, and we probably should, because I think people will think that this is a good card for this archetype, and it's not really. Three and a red, two, one. When an ETB is return target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. You know, it's just, it does compete, you know, in, let's say in the blue red version, you're competing again with Revenge or Organ Hoarders. In the green red version, you're competing with Shadow Beast Sighting, I think, which is a, a more important card. I think it's at its best in the red black version where you can rebuy like you know, a Defenestrate or an Eaten Alive, that sort of thing. And then it's also good sack fodder for the Eaten Alive. But this is not a card you need to prioritize for the style of deck. And yeah, you'll play like maybe one to two in some versions, but it's not an important piece. Yes, 100% agree. And I think largely that falls on the 2-1 body just ending up being too irrelevant to really feel like you've two-for-one. Yes, I, I agree with that for sure. Um, another common, I think the best common here is Morning Patrol, 2 and a white, 2-3 Vigilance with Disturb, 3 and a white, comes back as a 2-1 Flyer with Vigilance. This card is just still criminally underrated. I see this go last pick a lot of the time. Yeah, I like a Morning Patrol. 
Yeah. And then the other card that we want to talk about here at Uncommon is Sunrise Cavalier, one red-white for a 3-3 human knight with trample and haste. It starts the day-night cycle, and whenever it switches between day and night, uh, you put a plus and plus one counter on target creature you control. Yeah, this is a pretty weak pack here. There's no good commons really at all. And I think the only card that stands out to me as something that I'm interested in is Sunrise Cavalier. And while I don't really want to draft red-white spells or red-white beatdown, I mean nothing else you're going to miss out of this pack so i think i would take sunrise cavalier here i agree yeah and that's what ryan selects as well pack one pick three uh now we got some cards to talk about another lunark veteran a shadow beast sighting there's a festival crasher um and those i think are the three commons worth talking about and then there's still a rare in the pack i still haven't done this thing with root coil creeper this is croaking counterpart one green blue for a sorcery. Make a token that's a copy of target non-frog creature, except it's a 1-1 one, one green frog, and it has flashback for three green blue. What is the thing that you do with Root Coil Creeper? Make an army of 1-1 one, one frogs? Yeah, it, go, it goes infinite. For a billion mana, right? That well, how? I'm sorry that you can't go infinite for one mana, Ben. You gotta <laughs> put some work into it, okay? <laughs> that does not sound remotely exciting to me. Oh my god, you have no imagination and, and no dreams. No dreams, Ben. <laughs> yeah, so if we're drafting to try to win games of magic. Excuse me. I think, you know, there's a couple cards that stand out here. You could take Shadow Beast Sighting as just a card. You could take Lunark Veteran. But again, that's not at its best in red white. You know, if we've started with this Cavalier and Thermal Alchemist, I think it's more at home in blue white and blue black. So honestly, given what we've got, you know, we already have the Thermal Alchemist to want to lean into red spells. And if we're assuming red's going to be underdrafted, which I think is generally the case in most pods, Festival Crasher looks really appealing here. Then all of a sudden you have two two drops that want you to be red and want you to go down the spells route. And I think I like taking it here. Yeah. And something that I'm thinking about here is that you could even if you end up in red, black, red, green, red, blue, you know, because of how easy it is for those red based spell decks to do the day night thing to swap between you could even think about splashing cavalier there. Yeah, for sure. Well, and the other thing I think that's appealing about taking festival crasher here is you should note that there's a delver of secrets in the pack as well. If you happen to get into blue red, and you've mm-hmm. got two cards that are very aggressive and then could potentially wield delver that's super appealing also. Yeah, for sure. Moving on to pack one, pick four, see the following cards as options. There's a Gavany Trapper, single white for an O2, two tap to tap target creature. There's an Electric Revelation, that's the rummaging spell, tormenting voice with flashback. There's an Eccentric Farmer as well. And I think those are the cards that I'd be looking at out of this pack. Yeah, I think for me, I'm a sucker for Eccentric Farmer. (laughs) This Mm -hmm. has been well established. I mean, and especially now that I'm much more willing to do green red spells specifically, I think that sounds pretty awesome here. Taking Eccentric Farmer, having outs to go down green red spells, and you're not missing much, right? Like theoretically, you should be wheeling Electric Revelation. I mean, you shouldn't count on that, but I think it's not crazy to think that could happen. And then Gavany Trapper is a very good card for a red white aggro deck, but I don't really want to draft red white aggro. So I think I would land on eccentric farmer here and, and try to dream big. I would as well. Ryan landed on the trapper. Um, but you know, that's a, a defensible pick for sure. But I think we we're just, uh, you know, diving deep into this sauce. And so we take the farmer here, pack one, pick five. There's an evolving wilds. There's a silver bolt, a one mana artifact, three tap, sack it, deal three damage to a creature. If a werewolf is dealt damage this way, destroy it. There's a flip the switch, two and a blue instant counter, a spell unless its controller pays four and make a decayed zombie. And I think that's about it. Yeah, I think this is an interesting pick if you take eccentric farmer last pack mm-hmm. because evolving wilds goes way up in value once you have an eccentric farmer. Yep. So I think if I had eccentric farmer, I would take evolving wilds here over flip the switch with where Ryan's at in the draft having taken trapper. I think you're much less interested in Evolving Wilds, and I think you are pretty interested in Flip the Switch, especially knowing that that Delver could wheel out of a previous pack. Yeah, for sure. So Ryan does grab the Flip the Switch. Pack one, pick six. I think this is super interesting. I love this decision. He's basically got two cards he's looking at here. There's a Revenge of the Drowned as a follow-up to Flip the Switch. Three and a blue instant. Target creature's owner puts it on the top or bottom of their library, and then you make a 2-2 black zombie creature token with Decayed. And there's a Sacred Fire, red-white instant, deal two damage to any target, and you gain two life with flashback for four red-white. Yeah, super tough choice. I mean, you already are down the red-white route with Sunrise Cavalier and Gavany Trapper, so Sacred Fire lines up pretty naturally there. Although you just picked the flip the switch, and I think of the two decks, blue-red spells is much more potent than red-white spells is. So I think I would land on Revenge here again, hoping to wheel that Delver. Yeah, and like... 
Revenge is just so like blue red is a better deck. Revenge is more important for the blue red deck than I think Sacred Fire is for the red white deck. Um, so I really like this pick from Ryan taking the revenge here. And then pack one pick seven, the buck stops here. There's actually a ton of options. So in red, there's a Voldaren Stinger, which is actually another creature. It's like red's best creature, I would say, um, in terms of like the creature based strategies. This is the single red one, one has first strike as long as it's attacking. And then you can pay two in a red to give it plus two plus oh until end of turn. Another card that's hard to interact with in combat if you're the aggressor, but doesn't quite slot into the spells decks. Uh, Gale Drifter, it's again, a good card, just suffers from having better cards um, in the four drop slot. Three and a blue for a 3-2 flyer with Disturb. Four and a blue comes back as a 2-2 flyer. There's an Electric Revelation. There's a Geist Wave, one and a blue instant return, target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. If you controlled that permanent draw card, but I buried the lead here, Ben. There's a Seize the Storm (laughs) here, pack one, pick seven. Yeah, you just see Seize the Storm here and you're like, boom, I'm in, sold. 100%, 100%, Done. especially with this start. But even if you hadn't had quite this nuts of a spell start, seeing Seize the Storm here with Thermal Alchemist and Festival Crasher, even if you didn't have the blue spells, would be a reason to go full red spells. Yeah, and then he gets to follow this up with, he does take a Neonate's Rush over a Delver of Secrets, pack one, pick eight. Follows it up with a Startle, pack one, pick nine. Mm, and a bit of nothing, pack one, pick ton. And, the, and then that Delver does wheel, 11. He gets Electric Revelation, 12. Just a really strong start, and I think just like you, you just push down blue red and don't look back. Yeah, deck looks great. There's double flip the switch, double organ hoarder, that one copy of Seize the Storm. The Delver doesn't end up making the final cut, which I think tracks here. There's a lot more creatures than you would expect in a Delver deck. But I think mm-hmm. definitely something to keep your eye on. Yeah, I haven't played Delver yet. Do you, like people always ask me like, how many instants or sorceries do you want for Delver Unlimited? Do you have an answer for that? A lot <laughs> is my answer to that. I feel like I just never get there. Like once I'm in a blue red, if I'm in a good enough blue red spells deck, I feel like I don't have room for that card because I would just rather play another spell. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, just because I just want to fuel those seize the storms. Yeah, this is a, just a good looking deck. So you just need like, right. Think about the deck like it's blue red, no matter what color you're pairing it with, except for white, because I just don't think white can do it. But you can definitely get there in green red. You can definitely get there in black red. And obviously blue red is the best home. Now, one thing that I haven't seen much about on Twitter that I'm curious if you've seen at all, but combining Festival Crasher with Abandon the Post to remove two blockers, it's a spell, it's got flashback, you want to dump it in the yard. Have you seen anything about that or seen that be good for anyone? Because I've had that in the back of my mind since the start of the format, but I just haven't really seen it work yet. I haven't seen it yet either, um, but I could I definitely could see it work for sure. I think what's one of the most appealing things about this style of deck for me is that it can play on a number of axes. Like like so many of the good blue decks in the set, right? You can be aggressive and tempo-y. And then if you have to, you get to grind in the mid to late game because you have Disturb or you have Decayed or whatever, you know? And I think similarly, these red decks get to go, hey, I could come out to an aggressive start with my Festival Crashers, but then I also can just, you know, I can chill and I can grind through my library and I can find my big trampling tokens. And I think Abandon the Post only quite slots into that first version. So I guess you could still just like rummage it away or whatever, or loot it away when it's not relevant. But I just haven't found a deck that that really wants it or or is, is looking to do that strategy yet. But it sounds like it would work to me. Those are both commons. Yeah, cool. I think the other thing to note about these decks is, you know, it sounds super awesome while we're talking about it right now. I don't necessarily think this is tier one. Like, I think this might be tier 1.5 or something like that. And I I will say these strategies, especially the green, red or the more graveyard stuff you want to do, just gets absolutely hosed by Diagraph Horde. Like the deck just gets embarrassed by Diagraph Horde. Yeah, every time my opponent's playing black and they get to five mana, I'm just like, fingers crossed, please, please, please don't hoard me. Um, and, you know, sometimes that that prayer is successful and sometimes it is not. Uh, but yeah, I think that's definitely important to note. Uh, but I think like if we're talking about metagame shifts here, like there's been a huge shift. I think black is super overdrafted right now and red is underdrafted. And while that's happening, I think it's just important to be aware of how to draft this color. And I imagine maybe we'll see another shift where things even out and people back off of black a little bit and understand and understand that red isn't undraftable in the way that I think a lot of folks are perceiving it. But maybe not. And maybe this will just be how the format is for the next whatever, three, four weeks until we get to uh, to the next Innistrad set. Well, and let's say you're in a pod drafting red 
I still think red probably only supports one drafter, maybe two drafters. Like maybe there's a spells red drafter and a creature red drafter, but it's not a super deep color either. You definitely don't want to be fighting over it. No, not at all. No, I think you're right about one drafter for it, for sure. Like, just because the red creature drafter is also going to take your Moonrager slashes and your burn the accursed, right? Like, they want removal too. Yeah. So I think it sounds really cool, but be aware, you know, while we're while we're talking about this deck and advocating this deck, it's another option for you, another tool in the toolbox. This isn't like the de facto deck to draft right now in the format or anything like that. Right. Yeah. I'm definitely just going to go force red in the... Lords versus resources showdown. <laughs> Good well, strategy. I mean, this might be an edge that we've got. You know, if we're thinking about this this way and they aren't, do you think they're onto this tech? Uh, I don't know. Is this where, like, I could just see, like, <laughs> we just end the drafts and all three of us are, hey, we drafted, I drafted red. Oh, you too? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> well, let's hope not. Yeah. Everybody tune in to find out. All right. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases, check out the Marketplace. If you're signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can find us streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out, both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.